Jag heter Per Axbom och du lyssnar på Webtrender. Hallå och hej kära lyssnare. Så har det äntligen blivit ett till program av Webtrender. Som traditionen erbjuder så tar jag tillfället i akt att intervjua den person som ska vara keynote speaker på årets upplag av konferensen Business to Buttons. Som anordnas för andra året i rad av konsultföretaget Inus och Malmö högskola. I år är det faktiskt ingen mindre än Donald Norman som öppnar konferensen. Don Norman är ju en ikon i usability-världen. Han är professor i kognitiv beteendevetenskap vid University of California, San Diego, UCSD. Han är professor i datasystemvetenskap vid Northwestern University i Chicago. Han har arbetat på Apple Computer, Advanced Technology Group, Hewlett Packard och 1998 startade han Nielsen Norman Group tillsammans med Jakob Nielsen. Han har fått massor av utmärkelser för sitt arbete och har skrivit ett tiotal böcker, varav den i särklass mest kända är The Design of Everyday Things. Ni vet den med en bild på en kaffekanna på omslaget. En av de mer inflytelserika böckerna inom användarcentrerad design. Donald är helt enkelt grym på att hitta insiktsfulla exempel och historier om varför vår interaktion med vardagliga ting fungerar eller inte fungerar. Hans senaste bok heter The Design of Future Things och innehåller flera underhållande historier den också. Bland annat om försiktiga bilar och griniga kök. Som just råkar vara både det första kapitlet i hans bok och rubriken för hans keynote på konferensen. På engelska blir det Cautious Cars and Cantankerous Kitchens. Jag blev lovad 20 minuter av Donalds tid och inledde med tre samtal till hans faxmaskin. Han var förstås väldigt ursäktande när han insåg vad som hände och lyckades förmedla rätt nummer till mig. Därför låter förmodligen inledningen av vårt samtal lite förvirrande. Tyvärr så var min Skype-uppkoppling inte klockren heller varför jag har varit tvungen att justera upp volymen på Dans röst i efterhand. Men min förhoppning är att detta inte ska vara allt för märkbart. Jag var kallad faxmaskin, right? I have about, I have, let me think, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine telephone numbers here, and I, I'm oh, wow. <laughs> Okay. Hello, thank you for doing this. Uh, I'm so glad uh, to get hold of you and that you can do this in such short notice as well. Let me just give you some background to who I am and why I'm doing this. So I'm a Swedish consultant. Uh, I work within the fields of usability and accessibility and user experience for the web. Uh, my college degree is communi- communication science, and uh, I, run, I run this podcast where I interview professionals who I am inspired by and uh, who play an important role, you know, in, in the user experience arena. And uh, I started out actually last year interviewing Brandon Shower from Adaptive Path, who was the keynote speaker for Business Buttons Conference 2007. Mm-hmm. And uh, this year you're keynoting, so I thought, what a perfect excuse to contact you and set up an interview. So. Thank you very much for doing this. And I realized in saying that now that I'm a user experience consultant, you're actually the person who coined that phrase, user experience. I learned that from Peter Merholtz. Uh, is that right? Yeah, when I was at Apple. Okay. Uh, but I, the way I understand, though, you think the, it's used in the wrong ways maybe now today. That seems to be true of all words. The, the field loves that. We, we, we find a new word, it means something, um, and then if 
you know, five years later, it, it changes meaning completely. So, you know, information architecture. Um, yeah. Um, usability, so, user experience, affordance, all these yeah, terms. Exactly. So I've just been telling my listeners now then who you are. Uh, basically, the, the books I've read that you've written uh, and your, your latest book, um, The Design of Future Things, which really I like because I'm really technology uh, interested. And uh, But I don't think everybody who listens to this show really uh, – not all of them actually have heard of you and um, – Maybe you could give us uh, give give us some background to what your profession is and the driving force behind your passion for user-centric design. I'm really interested in the relationship between people and technology. Mm-hmm. And it's a relationship at many different levels. Um, my the first popular book I wrote, The Design of Everyday Things, talked about the frustrations we have in trying to use such simple things as a, a door, or mm-hmm. water faucets, water taps, or light switches. And I tried to show that these are the, the very simple principles that are involved, and that even when you talk about complex things like controlling an airplane or a nuclear power plant, the very same simple principles are involved, um, affordances, mappings, conceptual models. Yeah. Uh, all these are critical. And that, however, that early work, of course, focused on how we actually use things, the usability, understandability. And in my further works, I've tried to expand beyond that. Things that make us smart, I said, look, technology actually improves our brain power, if you will. That Without the use of technology, like writing, uh, we're really not so smart at all. We, it's hard to think without artificial aids. So the most powerful is actually writing, paper. Yeah. But we go on, obviously, to today's technologies of uh, computational devices. The next book talked about the fact that the computer was disappearing, would be embedded within our devices. We would be using hundreds or thousands of computers. So this book, The Invisible Computer, talked about the changes that would happen. But I also pointed out in that book um, that if you really wanted to make devices that people could use easily, you had to use a user-centered design approach, and that meant you probably had to restructure and redesign your company layout that the way companies are organized made it very difficult to do this. That book was written a number of years ago, but actually today I am finally putting that into practice by heading an MBA program where we actually okay. teach design to um, to future managers. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I, I realized that people complained about my work. They said, well, you know, Don Norman is okay if you want to make stuff usable, but if you really followed what he said, it, they would be ugly. Well, that's not what I had in mind. And um, so by that time, actually, the research on the field of emotion had dramatically picked up since my earlier work. And so I was able to work with some colleagues at Northwestern University whose whose field is emotion and personality and put together a structure that allowed me to finally show the role that emotion might play in products. That was the book Emotional Design in which I said, look, there are actually levels of emotion and complexities of emotion, and they play out in products in very different ways. At the visceral level, visceral design is about the appearance and how it hits you at first sight, or maybe feel, or maybe um, hearing. Um, at the behavioral level, it's how well it it works, the look and feel, and that's about the usability. That's where usability plays its role. But it's more than usability. 
It's when you drive a car that's, you know, really tuned. It's fun. And when you drive a car where it's sloppy and you can't control it, it's not fun. So it isn't just uh, the formal usability, it's feel. Mm-hmm. And at the reflective level, it's all about brand and prestige. And that's why you, we pay a lot of money sometimes for products uh, with a good brand name. People pay exorbitant amounts of money for, for cars. It yeah. just can't be worth that much amount of money except in self-image and pride. Mm-hmm. And um, now along the way, I started to realize that products were changing. They were no longer sort of passive products that we controlled but rather they had a mind of their own. They had computers inside them. They were autonomous. They made their own decisions. And nowhere was this more evident for the consumer than in the automobile. Automobiles that can park themselves, automobiles that that notice when you're straying out of your lane and turn back, automobiles Mm. that see a a coming crash and straighten their seats, tighten their seatbelts. And I... I know that we've studied automation a lot in commercial aviation and ships, and there have been lots of problems, bad human-machine interaction. And it's worse in the automobile because we have ill-trained drivers who have only a second to respond. Yeah. And so the design of future things is looking at the role of automation in everyday home and automobile. And my newest work is actually taking a look at the way I'm trying to put it all together, and now that I'm working in an MBA program where um, a large amount of the, of the program is about operations, the smooth behind-the-scenes functioning, okay. I realize that no product can exist very well without operations, without the smooth behind-the-scene operation, uh, not just in manufacture and delivery and service, but, well, look in the music business. You have a music player, but that doesn't really work unless you have a, a smooth operations for finding the music you want, for buying it, for getting it to your music player. Um, Mm -hmm. So operations are critical. And when you talk about services, the design of services, Mm -hmm. services are purely operations. And it's interesting because if you look at the operations people, they lay out factories and they're very worried about inventory and they try to reduce it. What's inventory? In a service, it's a waiting line, yeah. waiting room, a queue. So it's a really wonderful uh, experience. We'll see how this goes. Okay. The next book will be uh, the future of or the design of uh, operations behind the scene. <laughs> well, um, yeah, the, the tentative working title is Why Things Don't Work, but it, it may change. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, I really, you talked about cars there, and I, what I really liked about uh, the few first chapters of your book, you're comparing, or actually, I think that there's there are companies looking at how how you control horses uh, and re- researching that in how to design cars in a better way. Uh, I, what I'm finding hard to because people keep asking me, how are we supposed to understand something that we have no idea about how it works? Like 50 years ago, people knew how to fix their own car, for example, but that type of do-it-yourself knowledge is, is quickly diminishing. So do we need to make the machines behave more like people or, or more like animals, like, like in the horse case? Well, I think that actually the first statement is not true. People did not know how to fix their cars. Yes, okay. people did, but actually yeah. um, 
early drivers would carry would would have their own mechanic who sat next to them along the way. Oh right. Um, <laughs> and of course, the vast majority of people do very well with, with today's automobiles without any clues to what goes on. In mm. fact, what I'm fond of is that when when you buy a car, especially if you're a man, you have to walk around the car and look at it, and you have mm. to open the hood, bonnet, and uh, look at the engine, and. Mm. When you actually look at the engine, you know what? You can't see anything. It, today, it's all covered with plastic or some yeah. sort of protective cover. But what you're supposed to do is look at it and nod your head and say, hmm. So you don't know what's going on. But we don't have <laughs> any trouble working the cars after we've learned about them. Um, True. What you can do is have a really good conceptual model. Look, look at the file folders in our computers. We organize things and put them in the folders and so on. We think we understand what's going on. There's no file in the computer. It's a myth. Mm. It's a conceptual model, but it's very well done. So well done that we believe we understand what's happening. And yeah. <laughs> in our device. Mm. So uh, when we're designing interfaces and systems, and uh, I, I'm interested also in the concept of, of simplicity and and um, uh, something that you also wrote about recently when you were quoted in, in Wired magazine. Uh, as saying, when you actually sit down and analyze what you need to get the job done, it's not simplicity. And that was in, also in relation to 37 seg- Signals, uh, that group of people who, well, they, they have these uh, outrageous statements about uh, how it's important to design for yourself and not for the users. Um, just briefly, the idea that you can't get the job done with simplicity, uh, what's that referring to? Life is complex. The tasks we do are complex. And the tools that we use have to match the tasks we're trying to do. Mm. So that people talk to me about, oh, I really want something that's really simple. They don't mean it. When they go to the store, they never buy the simple things. They mm-hmm. they say, yes, I want a really simple phone. But you look in the store and they say, well, yes, but of course I want to be able to take a picture. And I want to have you know the names and addresses of the people I call. And, of course, um, I'd like to be able to play music. And, of course, I want to send text messages. And maybe I want to read my email. And maybe I want to check my calendar. So as people start saying they want really something simple and they list the activities they want to do, there's a conflict. So what we need to do is do a good match. We need to design so these things work well. And there are phones where which have a fair number of things and yet they work well and they're not they're not the most simple phones mm-hmm. so that's all right so, uh, one yeah. one of my correspondents said look look at this wonderful hammer and he mentioned some exotic hammer that a silversmith uses and he says it's a very simple hammer why can't we mm-hmm. make all our tools that simple and my response is that's he's he's asking the wrong question or he's looking at it wrong because if you look at a silversmith's bench, the silversmith will have 20 hammers and pliers and benders and this and that and the other. And mm. so what you have to look at is that bench is complicated. It, it's, um, it's like saying Photoshop is too complicated. Why can't we be as simple as the hammer? Well, the, it's, the, it's the bench of the silversmith that corresponds to Photoshop. The hammer corresponds to... In Photoshop, when you pull down one of the menus and you select one of the items, 
that's the tool that corresponds to the hammer. And usually <laughs> that's not where our difficulty is. I can use that menu item just fine. The complexity is knowing which menu item to use. Well, that's mm. the complexity of the silversmith who spent 10 years learning which hammer to use. So mm. the simplicity argument is really misleading. Mm. I think that uh, it, it sounds so so uh, clear when you explain it. That of course, it's that way. Um, but I, but I, actually, that's one of the things I do, which I work very yeah. hard at, which is to yeah. be able to explain concept, complex concepts in a simple way. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, so here's one, a good one for you. The concept of uh, affordance. Um, I, I don't really, I don't even have a Swedish translation for that word, so... Uh, Uh, when I've been reading about it in your books, uh, it's hard for me sometimes to explain what the concept of affordance is. And, and I know you direct all web questions to Jacob, but let's say, can a website have affordance, and, and what would that be? Well, I, 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 to design a website and evaluation, that's Jacob's business. I work <laughs> products and yeah. services and so on. But affordance, that's my yeah. word. <laughs> yep. So I own affordance. Um, <laughs> And, and absolutely, um, this telephone call has affordances. Um, mm-hmm. It permits us to do things, but doesn't make it easy for us to share documents. Um, you would have to explain in great detail which document you meant. I would have to go find it. You would then have to say which line you wanted to refer to. So this phone call does not have afford easy comparison of physical documents. It doesn't afford visibility. I can't see you. Mm-hmm. A website has the same things. It makes some things easy. It affords some operation. Makes some difficult. Makes some impossible. So, mm-hmm. absolutely, affordance is a very important concept for basically any interaction that humans have with the objects around them and other people. There are social affordances and physical affordances. But yeah. the reason affordance is so complicated is that people would like it to be a noun that refers to an object. So a designer likes to say, I put an affordance there, or there's okay. an affordance missing there. But affordance is not a physical object. It's not a thing. It's a relationship. And that's what makes it hard to understand, that it's a relationship between, in this case, a person and an object, which could be the website uh, or a tool. So... As I'm fond of saying, a chair affords sitting. It may afford throwing or hiding behind. But it affords sitting for me. It wouldn't afford sitting for an elephant. And it's really not a – it wouldn't afford sitting for an ant. And whether it affords throwing depends upon its size and weight and, and my strength. So it might afford yeah. throwing its throwability for me – but not for a young child. Mm-hmm. So affordance is a relationship. It's not fixed. It varies depending upon the person we're talking about and, and, and the device itself. So that's what yeah. makes it complex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, so the title of your, your keynote is, is Cautious Cars and, and Cantankerous Kitchens. You're actually doing two keynotes uh, the days after but each I'm other. I'm doing the same keynote. Um, You're doing the same? Okay. Uh, the conference is split into two tracks, and they they asked if I would give the same keynote once for each track of people. Ah, I see. I get it. Uh, and that's actually the the t- title of the first chapter of your most recent book there. Um, 
what can we expect from you on the conference? What, or also, what are your expectations from the conference? Well, I always enjoy going to new conferences and meeting new people and learning new things. Uh, and what you'll hear from me is indeed um, my discussion about the way that automatic devices are not being well designed, and that in designing them, we there's a real problem with automation. Mm -hmm. I'm a fan of automation. And devices that can work completely by themselves simplify our lives and, in many cases, make our lives safer. It's the devices that can only work partially, that give up when things get difficult, or, or try to do one thing while we wish it to do another. That's the ones that cause confusion, irritation, frustration. And the mm -hmm. automobile can be a safety hazard. So that's what I'm going to talk about, and if, but we'll see. I also I don't design my talks until just a few days before. Yeah. Uh, first of all, my ideas are changing all the time, and second of all, I try to learn a lot more about the interests of the audience. So. Yeah. My goal is that the talk should be fun, entertaining, but you should walk out learning something. Yeah. So we'll probably hear something about operations. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> Ex oh, yeah, just one question. Exactly what does cantankerous mean? Difficult, irritable. Okay, <laughs> great. Uh, I think we'll just wrap up there, um, uh, unless there's something you want to add. No, that's fine. Thank you very much for the chance to talk with you. Oh, thank you very much, and I'm looking forward to seeing you this June. Yes, I'll see you in June. Yeah, thank you. Cheers, bye. Så avslutades min intervju som jag gärna hade fortsatt i några timmar. Mer av Don får förstås vi som ska gå på konferensen. Och innan jag rullar vignetten vill jag bara tipsa om den extra insatta lördagen på konferensen. Det vill säga Cooper Day. David Ford från Cooper, ett företag som jag vågar säga är världsledande inom interaktionsdesign, kommer att köra ett heldagspass för att lära oss fiffinuliga målinriktade metoder som förtydligar designval för viktiga intressenter. Bland annat intervjuteknik, översättning av observationer till personas och hur man skapar scenarier som leder till övertygande design. Och jag förmodar att vi ses på konferensen. Och nej, jag får inte kickback för att säga allt det här utan jag tycker bara att programmet på konferensen och talarna är jävligt bra. Och för all del så kommer jag också ihåg att information är gratis, men för innovation får du betala en fika eller två. 